I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, good evening, morning, afternoon, you know, whatever time of day it is that you're listening, because we are here once again with our wonderful podcast, Pubs, Pints, People, the camera podcast brought to you from the Campaign for Real Ale, Cider and Perry. Now this week, as it's the start of autumn, we're focusing on the cider harvest, and as ever, I'm joined by Matt and Claire. Hello both. Hi there. Hello, hello. Uh, we've both got a bit of a sore throat, haven't we, Anne? So I, I, uh, at time of recording, I'm in the middle of, a, of a, an all-week conference at my new place of work and I've been in a lot of talking, a, a lot of drinking, I'm not going to lie, but a lot of talking <laughs> as well. <laughs> I think this is the change of seasons. Everybody I know has got a cold. I've got it as well. You know, the kids bring it back. But, uh, you know, a bit of mulled cider on the uh, throat. is uh, my That's my cure of choice, Anne. I Medicinal. Uh, Medicinal, yeah. <laughs> The doctor, yeah, I'm sure he was a doctor who handed it to me. And looking back now, uh, it's all a bit blurry. But, um, doctor Fox. Uh, doctor Fox, <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, autumn is a wonderful time of year, isn't it? Apart from the colds that we get, it's a wonderful time. It's a wonderful time to be, to be out. And as the evenings draw in, you know, it always makes me think of it. It makes me think of walking to the pub, you know, as the lights fade. Mm. And that wonderful, welcoming warmth and light when you open the door. Yeah. You know, it's just a wonderful mood to go into a pub. And, and for me, I, I think I've talked about this before, I do love a roaring fire. I'm a bit of a tradition is that, you know, I think if it's it's not quite cold enough actually yet really, but I know some landlords are keen and I've seen there's one burning in the grate at the local down in my town in Berkhamstead as well. And it just adds to that feeling that the pub is a really special place, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Certainly is, and, and I saw a roaring fire in a pub just uh, the other weekend as well, so that they are about. But the whole camera campaign for Real Ale, as as you know, organisation is actually focusing on cider this month, because although it's not in the name, cider's also part of cameras campaigning. And it's not just here on the podcast, but as October marks the second cider month of the year, if you want to get involved in cameras cider month, you can find loads of activity. Just uh, go to the website, it's uh, camera.org.uk, search for all the cider activities, loads of things. The 16th of October, for example, the Pomona Award is being made for an outstanding contribution to the promotion of cider and perry. So look out for announcements on on that. Um, Pomona, of course, the name of the Roman goddess of orchards and apples, hence hence the award. Yeah, I, I remember we had some cider sensors from Little Pomona, didn't we, Matt, back a, a few seasons back? Absolutely delicious. We did, we did. Now, Cameron is a campaigning organisation. The first three letters suggest, and appropriately, there is a new 
campaign starting on Cider Duty later this month, on the 18th in fact. Now you might remember from episode one that Cider Duty starts at 12,000 pints, so Matt's well under the threshold. (laughs) And and anyone producing less is completely exempt, huzzah! But that does account for 80% of producers. Now the big but here is that as soon as you go over the limit, so to speak, everything gets taxed. Indeed. Now, of course, Canberra's campaign to keep the current exemption that was under threat, but now, and I think what is a really good move, it wants to go further and turn it into a progressive duty. Because I mean, otherwise, it's easy to see why producers stay small, isn't it? Stay mm. under that £12,000 mm. limit. And I think we could be missing out on some really great cider and some fantastic small businesses that could go on to become media-sized businesses, make more money, give more to the economy and more to the industry. And I think it's a real shame that the kind of the, this this artificial side of GT puts that stops that from happening. And the campaign that Cameron doing will include a social media takeover. So watch out for that. There'll be a hashtag, I'm sure. I look forward to finding out what it is. <laughs> we don't have many details as we go there, but just stay in touch on the podcast Twitter, on the camera Twitter, and it'll all be on there. And in other news, the much-anticipated World Beer Guide by the legendary Roger Protz is finally available to pre-order on the camera website. It looks really interesting. It covers every region on Earth. So if you were wondering what kind of beer is drunk in different countries around the globe, then you can get hold of a copy by visiting the camera shop. And camera members get an extra discount on pre-order. I mean, I know I'll be pre-ordering mine very soon. There's no finer person I can think of than Roger Protz. Clearly, you know, every time I read something by Roger, he's been absolutely everywhere on this planet. It's like the David Attenborough of beer. I do remember in, in some of the pilot episodes, when I mean, we call them pilots, it was a failed start to season one, wasn't it, Matt? But um, mm. I did interview Roger uh, just before the lockdown. I uh, hope to see him again soon. So if you're listening, Roger, thank you for this wonderful book. Now, if you want to save even more money while you're on that little shop online, you can pre-order the Good Beer Guide for next year. The camera member pre-order price is just £12 and a as we all know, it's worth every single penny. This year's edition has a foreword by superstar James Blunt. Not only did he serve in the British Army, he then became a pop star and has also renovated it and now runs the Fox and Pheasant pub in Chelsea. I do wonder if his song You're Beautiful was inspired by his favourite beer. Oh, it's lovely. I'm tempted to sing, but I won't. You know, you've got to keep the listeners on side, I always say. Um, so go back to cider harvest time, which it is, that wonderful time of year uh, for cider makers, which I, I can't say like me because I'm having a terrible time at the moment. All of my apples got canker. Um, I can't make any cider. So I'm, I'm also going to make a personal appeal in the podcast. If anybody does have any spare apples from an orchard, can they get in touch through the Twitter, through the email and just give me some apples? You know, this is a blatant plug. I've just I've got, got no apples, guys. I want to make some cider. Uh. I've bought a new cider press. I want some apples. But anyway, this week's episode, All About Cider, is a little bit different. We've got more interviews, all slightly shorter than usual, giving you a chance to learn more about cider from the experts. Not from me, thank goodness. (laughs) And all all very fascinating stuff. And I, I have to admit, it's making me thirsty for a pint of cider so we're recording this show later than usual if you can hear like in uh, the tinkly of cider hitting a glass as in the background um it's we're usually <laughs> recording this in the morning or an afternoon now it's an evening we can have a cider yeah while we do this so i think what we're going to do is join you in sitting back and listening to some interviews and first up we have jackie denman of the big apple association based in herefordshire of course nothing to do in new york the real home of the apple. And she is in conversation with none other than Gabe Cook, who you might remember being the subject of an interview about his book, Modern British Cider, in episode one of this series. 
today we are speaking to Jackie Denman from the Big Apple Association in Herefordshire to learn more about the organization's role in the great cider revival over the course of the last 30 years. Jackie, welcome to the show. Hello, Gabe. It's very nice to be invited. Could you tell us a little bit about what the Big Apple is, um, how it started and, and what's it all about? Okay, well, the Big Apple happens in a small corner of Herefordshire. In our part of the world, in our parishes, apples have always been exceptionally important, whether they've been the main crop on a dessert and culinary farm or whether they've been the main crop for cider producers or very often a single orchard on a mixed farm that's grown apples to supply to one of the larger cider makers in Herefordshire. In 1989... The idea came to me that you could string a lot of different small things together, all of which were a celebration of the importance of apples to our area, and you could make something bigger than the sum of its parts. So we first had a series of public events in the autumn of 1989. Um, I talked to loads of different organisations and people locally who came up with their own ideas about things that they could do. And in 1989, although there was a lot of cider fruit grown in the area and Westerns, now obviously a much larger business, um, was a very important cider maker in the area, there was really only one other person making cider and that was Jean Noel with her husband Terry at Line Down. Now we can say that the Big Apple was, was you know, a quite a, a strong catalyst for the uh, emerging interest in in cider making and I suppose we 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 have to and we revel in the opportunity to celebrate the role and importance of Jean who you just mentioned um, for, she was somebody who's really important to me in my cider making and uh, an appreciation journey and I know that she has been important to, to lots of different people what's your take on the you know the value and the importance and the role that she had in terms of you know bringing the awareness and the joy of this culture and this heritage alive she was very, very modest about what she did. She was learning from lots of contacts that she was making, not in the immediate area, but across Herefordshire and into Worcestershire and Shropshire with quite a few what she would have called old boys who were still making cider in traditional ways. And she loved talking to them and finding out what they were doing. And she developed an informal network of these people. And I think she was a fulcrum, really. She was a fulcrum between that world and the world of people she went on to inspire herself. But in 1989, she was very sceptical that anybody would be interested. Um, <laughs> she, she, she said she was quite happy to, to open line down for a weekend, but she didn't think anybody would come. She kind of went along for the ride, really and was overwhelmed by the public response to what she was doing. And I think the big difference that she made was in gathering together all of the knowledge that she acquired from talking to her old boys yeah. <laughs> and passing that on to what she... she can, it, and, it, and then it was still a very male world. Mm. She was very unusual at that time. Um, passing it on to what she then called her boys and quite a few of the cider makers in Herefordshire now would readily acknowledge the part that she played in that. And the Big Apple Absolutely. just gave a public face to that, really. Absolutely. Well, 
you know, Jean uh, appears in in the book uh, that, uh, in modern British cider. You know, I call her one of the key influential figures of the uh, sort of eighties cider revival. One of the one of the elements that really helped to shape what cider is and looks like today. One of the great things about um, about the Big Apple, of course, is the cider trials that takes place uh, normally in every year, not uh, pandemic uh, withstanding. Tell us a little bit about the the nature of the cider trials and how they work and why you think they're so special this was Jean's idea Jean was very keen that people who were making cider should first of all get the chance to meet each other and to learn from each other and share ideas with each other and to taste each other's ciders and she came up with the idea of having a peer judged competition blind tasting everybody who entered being able to become a judge themselves took a bit of working out in the early days before many computers were involved and it was all done on <laughs> pencil and paper, uh, a, a system for doing it. But we worked out a system and, um, and the system hasn't basically changed in the last 30 years. The numbers of people who've entered have grown over that time. And we've had a whole mixture. It's always been a mixture of people who make cider for fun and cider as a commercial activity. And there's no distinction between them in the way that they're judged. Most people who are judging say they frequently can't recognise their own ciders. Um, (laughs) And Perry's, most importantly, both cider and Perry. And we've been lucky enough to inspire some very healthy competition. I've always called it co-opetition. There's a great sense of camaraderie and rivalry in the cider and Perry trials. It's judged over the course of an afternoon. As the afternoon wears on, the camaraderie includes... (laughs) increases but the rivalry comes out when we announce the result what are some of the things that are that that you're seeing and observing with with cider makers um either within your area or who enter into your uh, uh competition that that, that that makes you excited and gives you faith for the you know, for the role and the nature of, of cider and orcharding going into the future I certainly think that one of the big things has been whoever is making cider and however they're making it, that the quality of what's being produced, whether it's it's a, a, a hobby maker um, or a commercial maker, the, the quality, which is what Jean's hope always was, has been improving and continue to improve. And people... people really pride themselves on wanting to make the best cider and perry that they are able to and the knowledge and understanding of of how different varieties of cider fruit and perry pears behave has increased hugely the next thing that's happened building on that underlying layer of of quality and understanding is is a whole new wave of people coming into cider making who are really ambitious and playful about how they use that knowledge you must take great pride to see you know the impact that the big apple has had in terms of really catalyzing this Yes, I mean, I think we can see a part that we played in that, not least in this part of the world, in being instrumental in the establishment of the Three Counties Cider and Perry Association, which was a really important way of of scaling up what we were trying to do at a very local level. And obviously those 
those networks and and they're now thriving as an organization and doing some really interesting things in how they are supporting and informing not only their own members, but obviously creating interest amongst people in other areas who want to know what's going on here. And for anybody, Jackie, who wants to learn more about the Big Apple, where should they head to? What's the website? The website is www.bigapple.org.uk and there are different sections on there for the Cider and Perry trials for our harvest time weekend in the middle of October and for our blossom time weekend at the beginning of May. That's fantastic. Jackie, thank you so much for joining us. And once again, massive thanks for all of your endeavours and that of the Big Apple for championing fantastic British cider. It's been a great journey, which I've enjoyed enormously. Yeah, great interview there. If you're interested in finding out more about the Big Apple Association and what they're up to, then their website is bigapple.org.uk. And by the time that uh, this podcast is on air, they'll have just had their Harvest Time Festival. And I love the fact that because it's at nine different venues, they're running a tractor and trailer service to take people from place to place. What a fantastic idea. Maybe they could just take everyone home afterwards as well. Yeah, if they've got petrol in the tank, that is. (laughs) <laughs> no, tractors are red diesel, aren't well, they? Yeah, they should be all right, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I can't help but when I hear... I, I'm smirking every time I'm here in harvest time because my, my eldest son has, uh, is in school now and he came home the other day with, a, with a, a request for the school harvest and it just made me smile because I instantly thought of, you know, tinned fruit and, and, and mm. really old tins of John West tuna that my mum used to give to me to take to the harvest time at school. I was like, well, maybe I should give um, give Henry some some cider. This I wonder how it go down in his school. Maybe maybe not so much give away the cider. But <laughs> anyway, getting back to the interview, Jean Noah was obviously a huge influence on the world of cider and Perry, and it's carrying on with the cider trials, which you know I suppose are a bit like sheep trials, except that cider is peer reviewed, not beer reviewed. Aha! I thought that it's hilarious though that people didn't even recognise their own cider. I mean that's great, right? Mind you, I mean after a few glasses, it's easy to become confused. Yeah, but if you're having cider trials, let's hope that the cider gets off at the end of it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. You're on the money there, Claire. I love that. That is fantastic. Now, it's time, everybody, for I'm only here for the cider. Now, I'm only here for the beer. It's harvest time. It's got to be cider-themed, hasn't it? Yeah, It's a subtle rename. If we had a jingle, we'd have to redo it. But (laughs) who has the time? Um, There are a lot of great cider pubs out there, of course. So I want to know from you guys, which ones particularly stand out for you? Well, I've been looking at the award winners again um, from the the camera 50th anniversary awards. Um, They're giving awards for for pubs, pints and people. And in the pubs one, I was looking um, in Wiltshire, which is kind of southwest, you know, getting getting into cider territory um, or certainly more cider territory than, than my part of the world. And one of the award winners is the British Lion, um, which is in uh, devices in Wiltshire and it calls itself a genuine free house and if you look at the pictures and the pictures on the camera website and, and on their own website it just looks like what you'd call a proper pub um, uh, they call themselves the, the last of their kind in the town it's a pub and that's all they say no, no food whether fancy or plain no televisions no sport no gimmicks just good beer and cider um, and th- they have got 
they have some of the sort of the what you might call the mainstream, the popular ciders, but they also have um, the the more local ciders, uh, particularly. Black Rat is one of the ciders that they have, or, or Cheddar Valley as well. Um, but I uh, say so you look at the pictures on on the various websites, and you, you look at it and think that's just a, a proper pub that uh, you can sit in, in there with your pint and enjoy the banter. And I can see why it's got one of the camera awards. Yeah, nice. And actually, speaking of awards, my my choice is a pub I've not visited, but it is in my local area and has has recently cropped up because the presentations from last year's uh, Pub of the Year awards were finally given out over the past couple of weeks. Uh, And it was the Sun Sun at Felmersham, uh, not too far from where I am in Bedford, that won the Cider Pub of the Year. So I'm really, really tough for the team there. Uh, The pub itself, I've driven past it loads. I've never had the luxury of going in, but that is on the cards in a very, very uh, imminent weekend for me and my family but yeah one of those as you say Claire it's another one of those classic pubs that springs to mind you think of a, a, a sort of countryside pub thatched roof white walls really welcoming atmosphere and and you know just reflecting on you saying about the roaring fire Matt you just know that on a sort of chilly evening go in there and it'd be very welcoming very intimate and I can't wait to go and see it. So, uh, firstly, congratulations to the Sun Up Foundation for winning the Real Cider Pub of the Year. And uh, I look forward to coming and seeing you guys very soon. They sound fantastic. So, I've actually looked a little bit further back to um, an article that was on the Camel website from 2019 where they recommended 10 cider pubs to quench your thirst. And one of them really stood out for me. And it's called the Monkey House in Defford. Love and it name. says here, and I'll read it. Only one of only four traditional cider houses left in the country with no bar to be seen. Oh. And cider served from jugs into china mugs for an opening in the outside wall. I mean, if that doesn't sound like wow. right on my street, traditional cider, I don't know. So I feel like, a, like I'm going to look at where it is and I'm going to set off now. Sounds stay like till the end of the podcast. Yeah. All right, yeah, I'll yeah, stay in it. It's yet. a bit late. Actually, <laughs> we'll, we'll be through the night then. Yeah, um, you're right. That sounds like an experience, you know, not just, yeah. not just a drink, but the, the whole China mug, a bit like a, I'm getting images of the Mad Hatter's Tea Party for some reason. It really does sound like this, the sort of pub that uh, that is deserving of a visit sooner rather than later, I think. But uh, we move on because we have three short interviews with drinks educator Alison Tafts. Uh, first of all, she's speaking with Albert Johnson from Ross on Wye Cider and Perry Company about the cider harvest, where it sounds like they're ahead of the game, actually, because they've already produced a cider this year. We grow an eating apple variety on the farm, which is Beauty of Bath. Uh, so we've actually already pressed our first cider this year. And I think it will be true for a lot of producers around the country that even though it doesn't yet feel fully like apple season, mostly just feels like a huge monolith slowly creeping towards us, uh, everyone with super early varieties like Beauty of Bath, like Discovery, uh, will have, have made the, the first juice of the season. Oh, fantastic. That must be brilliant. Is there any kind of ceremony that goes with that first juice? Uh, actually, it's almost the reverse because most of our apples are cider apples. They come later in the year. So the beauty of the bath is like a ramshackle setup just to get the apple done when it's ripe and we don't lose it. But it's done as quickly and as uh, efficiently as possible so that we can get back on with all the other jobs we're rushing to complete before harvest swamps us completely. God, that makes complete sense. Yes, I understand. And um, what, does, what does the harvest look like? Are you able to get a sort of handle on how it's going to be yet? So I, we always try our best not to worry about it because on the farm we know every year there's going to be enough fruit for what we want to achieve as cider makers because we got into it as apple growers and became cider makers and now we're 
just makers um so we try not to look at our fruit through the year because then you just get worried every time you have a week of bad weather you think oh dear how's that gone for the trees um so i'm not sure there's there's every year there's things you celebrate and you think that's going to be good for harvest and there's things you look at and you think that's not so good for the fruit and you only really know what's gone on when you're actually handing the apples through uh, september october november and and then you can say okay this is what we've learned whilst we're pressing uh, we can say that it's going to be a relatively big harvest for apples on the farm uh, we we grow our apples in sort of minimal intervention style orchards so we're not intensively farming them we don't use pesticides uh, we, we don't use fertilizer we prune by hand bird boxes are our main source of pest control uh, but that means that our trees naturally go biennial so they have one big year where they produce loads of fruit and because they're focused on p- producing all that fruit in the first year they then don't produce fruit bud for next year so there's no blossom you have a small crop and because there's no blossom and then there's no apples that year they put all their energy into a huge crop for the year after so it's a cycle that gets worse and worse all the time and you just have to lean into it so we're expecting a very big crop this year on our apples because we didn't have that many last year i was going to ask that how was 2020 Uh, so in a way i guess that was quite helpful that last year wasn't such a big crop because of you know things as they were in the world with the pandemic yeah well well yes um, it was fortunate how it fell, definitely, uh, because there was less pressure on us last year to make as much use as we wanted. But it's always a shame when you have less fruit. And, and the main thing for us is that it means we have a lot less choices. So in the end, we actually gave it a pretty good go in 2020, uh, trying to find unusual varieties uh, so we could make as many different types of ciders as we could. So we ended up buying in a lot of fruit. Whereas this year, uh, our apples like... Stoke Red or Ashton Brown Jersey, some varieties that we only have maybe six trees of, they should have enough for us to make a single variety from them. So there's there's pluses to having a lot of fruit. And then if you've got less fruit, sometimes it's not as stressful. Yeah, that makes sense. So in terms of sugars, um, obviously they will uh, vary depending on the weather, won't they? And how has that been this year? I, I think that it's been okay. I mean, for for us... If we think back to three years ago, the summer of 2018, that was an incredible summer. Uh, the weather was just beautiful all the way through June, July, August. It was just screaming with sunshine all summer. And that meant that we had really, really high sugars, which means we have a naturally high alcohol in the cider, naturally more flavour. Last year, in 2020, we thought the summer was going to be all right. And then actually, maybe it's not been that... It didn't end up being that spectacular. And I think this year it's kind of similar. We've had we've had weeks, you know, during the Euros, it was beautiful. Everyone was having the time of their lives because the sun was coming down. But then through July, I I would say we've, we've been pretty disappointed. Um, but on the other hand, if you get a lot of rain, you end up with bigger apples. So if you don't get the rain, then you might have really nice looking fruit, but you'll be really struggling to get the juice content because the yield will be so low for the weight that you're putting through this year to me feels like it'll be an average year for average apples but some varieties they will have chimed in exactly with this growing season and so you don't know what they're going to be until you're actually pressing them but some things will have loved this year and will produce spectacular cider 
Well, Albert sounds very relaxed about everything and clearly isn't easily phased. Lots of other people like vine growers are constantly worrying about the effects of weather and quantity and quality of the crops. So, I mean, they seem to be able to cope with whatever comes along. And I'm sure he said that a big harvest was good, but could also see lots of positives if it was smaller. So that's great, optimistic, half-full thinking. I'll take some encouragement from that. I say, I know somebody with no apples, there are some negatives to a smaller <laughs> harvest. Um, but I think, uh, interestingly, he said that lots of rain was great for the juice levels, but lots of sun was also great great because it increased the sugar levels. And it's interesting, that obviously, you need the right balance, but it does sound like a bit of a win-win to me. You know, mm-hmm. kind of whatever conditions you get can, can, can bring a unique thing to the cider. And he makes it a point that it doesn't help to worry about it all through the season anyway. The different apples like different weather, of course, as well. So I guess it all evens out in the end. And I didn't know that you kind of get a big harvest every other year, but I, I loved the idea about bird boxes as a, a form of insecticide. And that, that really is organic, isn't it? Yeah, so we, we yeah. move on now to our second of our three interviews from Alison. And this time she's talking to Lizzie Pegler and Colette Golding from the Orchard Project. And that's all about community orchards. The Orchard Project is the only national charity dedicated to the creation, restoration and celebration of community orchards. Now, it's that time of year we are focusing on the harvest. Uh, And I really wanted to ask you about the harvest that you're dealing with. Where do your apples come from? So we get the most of our apples from community orchards in London that we support. And we also get apples from people's gardens and allotments who donate their surplus fruit. And then we also did a limited edition food waste cider, which was using surplus apples from farm fruit waste. Oh, was that the Rambler, Lizzie? Yes, the Rambler. And we also have the Arlington Mill. Oh, fantastic. Love that apple. So, yes, you're getting quite a variety of apples then uh, coming into you. Yeah, we were saying this earlier. We talk, there's a lot of um, apples that come in a cooker's. There's a lot of urban orchards, especially traditional ones, that were garden kitchens. So there's not so many cider apples in London uh, growing by themselves, but uh, we make it work. (laughs) Yeah, so you're really working primarily with eaters and cookers then? Yeah. And then you get the odd um, sort of lovely cider apples to supplement your your intake, so to speak. Exactly, yeah. And it's it's a lot of um, pre-sorting the fruit, trying to keep all the Bramleys to one side just for our fresh juice rather than going into the cider. I see. Okay, so I was going to ask you actually about the challenges uh, and the obstacles that you have uh, when you're dealing with uh, harvest in the urban environment. Yeah, so I think probably in terms of the cider, the biggest challenge is it, it is inherently quite acidic because a lot of the apples you get are eaters and cookers and yeah you get a lot of bramleys which means a lot of acid so um i think there's probably a bit more pre-work in just trying to sift out and you know we just get apples from everywhere all sorts of varieties yeah just being a little bit mindful in what we put in and then in the other challenges is just being in london it's uh yeah logistics transport trying to get around 
and people bringing us their apples from their gardens, it just becomes a little bit more challenging when you have to sort of take them on the tube. Absolutely. So uh, I know you've got quite an innovative way of doing your deliveries with your final product. Um, how are you doing that, Colette? Um, well, we send our, our, our ciders out by bike, usually. Um, there's a company we use called Pedal Me. And uh, yeah, we get a bike courier, come and pick up our ciders and take them to the to our stockists, yeah, on bike, which is... um. I often quite feel quite bad for the cyclists, loading them up, especially when there's kegs being sent, but they, they seem to manage, so, yeah. I'm sure they, they pedal e- even better if you offer them a sip of cider. Well, exactly. <laughs> and obviously you're working with urban orchards, you're working with garden apples. What do you think is the importance of that, Lizzie? So trees in general are just really great for the health of us as people, but also for our planet. But for apple trees, I just think, yeah, they're brilliant, especially in urban areas, in providing, you know, really valuable... We know how important green spaces for our health and well-being so they provide really valuable spaces for people to come together and learn new skills there are trees they do all the great things about carbon secretion and um, cleaning our air but they also provide us with loads of fruit and they're a really good one they're quite low intervention Um, all our sort of the trees in London are in, in cities you find them most of them are organic they're like a priority habitat so really really good for biodiversity I was just going to say I think it's all of that of course the environmental factors are really important but it's also the social factors for me that is the most important especially with the community orchards we work with kind of seeing urban food growing as kind of a form of resistance in a way and creating community around that space it's something that we've lost and i think it's something that is really important in our urban communities oh look at that mark this is right up your street fantastic job by the orchard project collecting apples on the tube delivering by bike come on get yourself over there to matt sowers folks he needs your apples i'd love to see a picture of that cycle courier with a couple of kegs on board <laughs> so that, that glorified stabilizers isn't it <laughs> you know, clearly so many benefits from ideas like this one in terms of getting the community kit together and helping people cope with living in the city where you normally cut off from things like orchards and, and food and drink production so you know if we can spread a bit of that love across the city where it's built up like that then it's just going to make for some really tasty drinks in the end isn't it it's true and, and again with that mostly organic low intervention you know, using apples that otherwise might go to waste which I think is a, that's that's the wonderful thing about cider, as you say. Somebody said if they were if they were left to rot and weren't used, we're making a wonderful product out of them. And I, I think it must be a real challenge for them with so many apples having been grown for cooking and eating, and having to turn them into cider. I've had that interest, interesting because my my cider apples haven't done that well, as I've said. I've just got some tremlets bitter, so I'm looking at now like Bramleys and kind of you know dessert apples. I mean, to be honest, in my situation, you start looking at the ones that are in the supermarket, thinking, can I just throw in a couple of, uh, of, of, of value granny sniffs in there that's how desperate it gets but you know I mean it's quite a skill to make a cider of the quality that's being made there out of dessert apples and cooking apples and so I just think I really admire what they do it's fantastic now for our third short piece we're going to have Alison speaking with May Turner of Turner's Cider in Kent 
we wanted to have a chat about how things are looking over with the Eastern Counties style uh, cider. So May, first of all, tell us about your orchards and, and harvesting in your part of the world. The orchards are traditional orchards, so they're quite old they get harvested in a traditional way uh, which is by hand so the apples uh, when they're ripe enough get picked uh, into apple directly into apple bins and then those bins are taken then to us <laughs> and then pressed uh, into juice for, for making cider so in, unlike some uh, cider apple orchards they don't get to they don't drop onto the floor and then get scooped up from the floor of the orchard. Um, they're actually picked by hand when they're perfect. Uh, so the fruit we use is, is very high quality because they're not traditionally used for making cider. So they're used traditionally for making, um, for juicing or for eating. So they're, they're culinary and dessert fruit. So uh, the way we pick them is... Um, uh, very gingerly <laughs> so when they're ready they get picked by hand uh, which makes a fantastically uh, crisp clean uh, good quality cider yeah that sounds wonderful so those um, apple bins are those wonderful traditional wooden sort of square right. bins that you see uh, yep. over that part of the world yeah beautiful yep. um, and so I can, I can almost sort of see and smell them in my mind it sounds delicious <laughs> and um, so you receive these wonderful great big um, bins with apples and yep. what happens next what, what's been happening this year which are the first varieties that you'll be getting Discovery is one of the earliest uh, types of apples to be ready. I think actually this season it's already picked and pressed, <laughs> um, but actually Turner's doesn't use any Discovery apples. Um, up to date, we haven't been ready to take a new harvest by this time of year, really, um, because our, our tanks had been um, you know, not empty enough to take any new uh, new apples. So uh, to date, we haven't haven't used Discovery in our blends of cider. Um, the next apple to be ready is normally the Worcester, and that we do we do use. Um, so for us, it'll be the first fruit uh, will be pressed will be being picked and and pressed uh, very soon. Um, the, the next variety that we use is the Red Windsor, and that will be ready around mid-September. Um, following that, it'll be the Gala, which, again, is about mid-September time. Uh, we then use Cox, which will be probably slightly later, a bit kind of late September, maybe early October. And then the Russet, which is the kind of key component for our cider, um, is ready in October. Um, and the orchards where we're based in Marden um, are that's where we we get 80 percent of our, our fruit from and all of the russets that are grown uh, on the the site where we are are uh, used by us um, following on from the russet we had then have uh, cheerful gold which is actually a quite a unique apple grown in our on a, in our very specific local locality so it's only grown on two farms in, in the very, very local area where we are. Um, and it is probably going to be in late, late in October, probably November. Um, so that's the last to be, to be picked and pressed. Um, we also use pears. So they, we use conference and commerce pears. So, um, uh, so yeah, so they'll be added in um, to the, to the uh, pressing schedule. Um, uh, as soon as we're able to, to get hold of, of some of those um, in the local area. So far, um, the conditions this year have been mixed. Um, we've had uh, late frosts, we've had uh, he localised hail damage, 
Uh, there's a lot of small fruit out there. Um, so it's not going to be the best year uh, in terms of the, the quality, but there is plenty of fruit. So because we're located where we are in the Garden of England um, and we're in heavy uh, apple uh, orchard uh, locality there won't be any problem um, with the apples and what we don't get from our our own farm we will be able to find within a five mile radius of, of where we are so there won't be any problem with that um, sometimes the conditions warrant it the, the sugar may be lower than normal this year because of the conditions but to be honest that's not normally going to be a problem for us because uh, generally the the, the orientation of the farm is that lots of the orchards are south facing so they generally get a lot of sunshine and they are not the, the sugar levels are normally extremely high so normally our, our problem is having uh, very very high ABVs in our cider <laughs> rather than rather than low ones so I think if it is going to be lower than normal this year, um, it's, never, it's not going to be below 6.5 in terms of ABV um, and it won't be a problem for us at all. So, um, But obviously, depending on the exact sugar levels, we'll have to do our blending accordingly and work out, um, you know, and tweak the blend, uh, you know, according to how, how sweet the... Um, the ciders are uh, and go from there basically so it's, it is a it is a, a challenge every season to to tweak the recipe if you like so that we can get the get all the juices in um and try and have some kind of uniformity of product at the end of the day when it has fermented overall would say that it's a, a better harvest or a less good harvest than than last year i think it's going to be a less good harvest than than last year but it's not going it's not going to be terrible so it's it's I think it's good. they're going to be smaller, smaller apples than there were because um, uh, because of the conditions. But I don't think that's going to be a problem. So uh, we can we can ride our way around that. So it won't be too too much of an issue. Yeah, there's quite a lot of varieties going into that one. Picking and pressing going on from late summer all the way to November. May seemed a bit more concerned. I thought about the weather than perhaps our other interviewees were, but. Obviously nothing she can't cope with and she said it would all be sorted out in the blending. This episode has been different already and now in place of our archive dive we have an eye on L&D. Now if you don't know the lingo, that's short for learn and discover, uh, which is part of the remit for camera and it, you know, and they really want to spread the work and educational resources about Ale and Cider as far as they can. And this is where learn and discover factors that in. Camera regularly shares articles, videos and lots of other resources for people who want to know about what they're drinking on the L&D platform and today we're highlighting the latest cider-based content. So there's a new video being released on camera L&D, as the cool kids are calling it. It's called The Story of Perry. And the, I've talked about Perry quite a bit. It's a little bit one of my special subjects because I do think it's a bit of a forgotten drink. Yeah. And, and my prediction, it's time will come. And I think it will become the hipster trendy drink. It'll have a real period where it is, it is right on top because it is delicious. And I think there's a little, got so much going for it. It's just a bit of a hidden gem. I think it's with the rise of real cider, 
lots of people are now going right wow well what's the next one what else can i get into so people are thinking maybe i'll try its close cousin the perry just been maybe put off by the the kind of overly sweet pear ciders that have come in the past or things that claim to be perry and are definitely not you know the real stuff is where it's at and it's an absolutely fantastic drink i'm getting on my high horse aren't i about perry <laughs> yeah. but I, I really do think it's fantastic so as i said the, the video has only just been released but we asked for a quick summary and we're told that it's actually a new video series available on camera's youtube page to camera members and it delves into the rich history and mythos of perry we're told to, to think pagan gods and the creation of the earth stinking bishop british army khaki uniform in world war one and 300 year old trees I mean that's a that's a heck of a trailer. I'll give I'll, I'll give him yeah. that. It certainly is. I mean, if, if that doesn't make you want to tune in, what will? Well, actually, Claire, I've got more. We've been able to get a sneak peek at just some of the interesting tidbits that you can learn in the story of Perry. For instance, did you know that if you are in sight of Mayhill, then you are in Perry Pear Country? I didn't know that. Well, there you go. Did you know, Anne, that the oldest Perry Pear trees? Is said to have been scattered across the land of three counties by the old gods after they created the earth. I'm, I'm writing all this down. Any, any more? Yes, more. Yes, peri pears are still in use that were planted during the reign of Queen Anne. Now that's interesting. Yeah, I, I need to bank some of these for a pub quiz, I think, because uh, <laughs> if, if all that has wet your whistle, then the film is presented by Gabe Cook, who we heard from earlier, of course. It's been filmed and produced by Bill Bradshaw, who's a former head brewer and cider maker, now turned freelance photographer, videographer, and on top of having published four books on cider. So if you want to see the trailer, go to the Camera YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe while you're there. There's a link in the show notes, of course. And on Camera's website, there's a whole Learn and Discover section with everything from the basics to cider and beer producer-level knowledge. Wonderful stuff. And with that, we're very nearly at the end of the episode. So, as ever, in truth... Pubs, pints, people style, we're going to call Last Orders, and it would only be fitting to be talking about ciders. And so I ask to the pair of you, Pear, P-A. Oh. Oh. <laughs> What's been in the glass this week? As you know, I get my regular mystery box from Scratting's Craft Cider Shop. I, I, I would say a fantastic place to get some really out there ciders. I've delved into my box and I've pulled out one of my favourite named ciders. It's called Piglet's Choice Ooh. and it's by the Nempnet Cider Company. And the reason why this took my eye is because it says it's, it's made in a Somerset village called Nempnet Thrubwell, which I found that it sounds like the character in a Dickens novel, doesn't it? Yeah. My name's Nempnet Thrubwell and it says traditional medium farmhouse cider and it is that delicious. Well, I've been to uh, my, my favourite or one of my favourite real ale and cider shops, which is the Giddy Goat. It's in Sheringham on the Norfolk coast. And w whenever I uh, head up to the coast, I always make sure I, I pop in and see what beers and ciders they've got in. And I haven't actually started this, this bottle yet because it is 6.8% 6 in fact. So uh, I'm, I'm saving it for perhaps a, a special occasion, I think. But it's the Winhill Norfolk Cider. This is their dry sparkling Norfolk Cider. They're based in Wells next to the sea and uh, it's produced from 100% apple juice, no colouring, water or artificial sweeteners. The apples are a blend of cider and dessert varieties 
from their own orchards and they say it gives it a real depth of flavour. It's a dry, full-bodied, lightly sparkling cider and I'm looking forward to uh, to sampling that in the very near future. Just say that on this bottle of the cell, the uh, best before end date is August 2022. I don't think there's any danger of um, <laughs> of not getting to that. Uh, now, a little bit like you, Matt, this week I've gone down the subscription route. My very best friend Craig has a subscription to a cider box. I get the beer box. And what we tend to do is we get together and have a bit of a tasting sesh as and when they come in each month. And this uh, this one that he shared with me was wonderful. It's by a, uh, a, a brewer called Thistley Cross um, up in, in Scotland. And they use these real Scottish methods. And this is a this is a cider called Whiskey Casks, so 6.7%. And they use Glenmoray Distillery Casks from the the old whiskey distillery to give that cider all of the things that you think a whiskey cask barrel would do to it to that drink so you get all of the oaky stuff that nice vanilla and honey tone and obviously the cider itself is delicious vegan friendly as most ciders are because it's all nice and natural and uh, yeah thistly cross really impressed with it and i must say it was delicious and it's a good one that i've tried that it's an absolute cracker have you so you wouldn't really think of like a scottish cider you know no, where no. the apples would go but i think yeah the and if i love like kind of a whiskey cask age cider, i think it gives such depth of flavor and i think they do it really really well it's one of the best out there so, yeah, yeah I, th- I, I salute your box i think that's one to go on my list of, of ones to try before too long yeah, I mean, I checked out the website. They've got loads of different options, and you can buy it by the bottle. You can get the cider boxes as well in your 5-litre and 20-litre polypins. I mean, what's there not to love about it? So, yeah, that's my drink of the week, Thistley Cross. And with that, I'd like to say thanks, everyone, for listening. Next time, it'll be Halloween. So we're going to bring to you some of the tricks and treats of cider and beer producers. And, of course, there are some right horrors waiting for you. So don't forget to tune in next time to Pubs, Pints, people have a wonderful evening afternoon morning whatever time you listen and we'll see you very soon cheers cheers, cheers. have some apples <laughs> <laughs>I was going to say,shall I dress up as a witch next time and then you can say you don't need to but uh... oh no hi this is Craig Robinson from ways to win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free, courtesy of our pals at Beer52, by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people, that's the numbers 52 in the 52, and covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free, so that's 10 unique craft beers. Beer52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia... Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.